the reason that we don't want to be over a barrel is because these big platforms have a habit of making massive changes. And if that's the source of all your income, it's a bit dangerous because you can't really control that. You've got much richer, more powerful people in control of your destiny. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 1036. And I'm very, very excited about today's episode. We're chatting with Sophie Howard. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you, James. Great to be here. Well, we have so many chats that uh, today it'll be a little bit like eavesdropping in on one of our chats because we always have this great back and forth. I've been chatting to you for many years now, actually, and I really enjoy it. You are an absolute dynamo. You're one of the most active people I know, and you are so good at everything you touch. I think this will be a real treat for our audience because you've got this vast experience. I feel like it's dog years. For every year you do online marketing, it's probably what would take someone 10 years. You're just so fast and prolific. So I'm excited. Oh, thank you. Those are very kind words. I do fail on quite a lot of things for the small number that do work out. So I definitely work pretty hard and fast on different ideas I have. But yeah, I really, really enjoy this whole world of online business. I've been having a blast for about 10 years doing this now. So Lots of war stories, but some really good wins as well. Now, some people might think, oh, gosh, I recognise that voice. I've seen that face before. You've um, you're definitely all over my YouTube feed. You, you've been doing a lot of promotions. You've had some partners with various things. From what I can remember of the story, you were doing your own stuff. You had a course or something, and then someone tapped you on the shoulder and said, do you want us to sort of magnify this? And, and you've been teaching various business models. Should we just start with that just so that we can pick up from where we've seen you before? Yeah, sure. So it was probably 10 years ago, I was selling on Amazon and had a really good run picking good products on FBA, as everyone was doing back in the 2012s, 13s or so. And so I started a little community where people were picking my brains, mainly with the product selection bit. I'm rubbish at the paid ads or the inventory and shipping admin bits, but I was quite good at finding products and building those brands and I sold one. So I've been working with that partner ever since. So we've moved on more from straight products and education around that. And they really blew up my little homegrown community into this very lovely machine of really high quality, fully comprehensive training and a whole team of specialist coaches working with me. So we've done Amazon FBA and now doing Kindle publishing, which has been really good. And I'm still really busy publishing about a book a week at the moment. So the Kindle game's still going strong and I've got some great students who are learning the ropes on that strategy. And that's been really good. So we've been doing that for most of eight years now together, and it's been a great relationship. Great. And you've seen so much and built so many skills in that time. One of our sort of running jokes is every time I see you, I ask you, which businesses have you bought lately, right? You're constantly tuning, adding to your portfolio, sifting out the marketplaces. I feel like you've identified a lot of the potential supply. You've got good filters and metrics in terms of what to buy or not to buy. You plug in your existing team and start growing these businesses. And I I think the story here is that instead of starting new things from scratch, these days you seem to be picking up existing businesses and then tuning them. Is that your preference now? Yes. So during the lockdown, when I was busy publishing uh, nonfiction books, I could see that the people that published fiction books were really, really smashing the sales. I mean, when they do a launch, they sell thousands and thousands and thousands of copies to my hundreds of copies of something. They were like 10 times, if not 100 times more the volume. And I couldn't really unpick it from the outside because I'm not a fiction author. 
And so I bought a fiction business off Empire Flippers to basically inherit a writing team and to understand these weird, wonderful newsletter swaps they do. And they're such a nerdy, purist bunch of authors that write the books and do all the creative side. But they've actually built these really clever marketing machines where they all kind of cross promote. And so I couldn't really build that from scratch from the outside, but I wanted to learn how fiction works and also to see if the fiction marketing stuff could be applied to the nonfiction. They're two completely unrelated communities, even though we both sell lots of books on Amazon. So I bought this little, well, it wasn't so little, it was quite a big business. It was doing a book a month, had two full-time writers who were on Upwork, and it had this lady who coordinated all the swaps with all the other authors with their lists of readers. So when everybody launches, you get your turn each month of the year or each week of the month where all those readers flood to your new release and give you ranking and reviews. So I bought that more to learn how to run the operations and to fast track building a fiction team because I couldn't do it myself. And so the cash flow kept cranking and that was great. But the best thing was I just suddenly had this whole new business I fully owned. I didn't need to train anyone. I didn't need to recruit anyone. Someone just shared a Dropbox folder with all the standard operating procedures. I could see ways to grow it. I could sort of cross-pollinate some of the things they were doing with some of the things I was doing. We kept all the team and they're still going strong today. They're all still working for me. This is three years ago now. And so it kicked out more cash. The asking price, I think for that one was 410K, which was a lot, but I got it for mid twos and negotiated pretty hard, did a nice clean handover and it's been a really good investment. So it's taught me a lot. It's built a team that's really, really productive. They already knew what they were doing. They've taught me a lot. And so it wasn't quite set and forget, but it's been very easy to add that income stream to the bottom line of what comes in each month. And then I thought, well, that was really good. It went really smoothly. The broker kind of de-risks some of the migration part. And I obviously had to do my own assessment of whether it was a quality business. But on Amazon, uh, you can see the reviews, you can see the ranking, you can see the size of the email lists and the assets. You can see agreements that the writers are happy to stay on with the new owner. And so it all went pretty well. So I bought a newsletter business after that. And that kicks out about 90K profit a year. And I literally do nothing. I get one Skype notification a week telling me what the month, the weekly profit's been and how many new subscribers we have on the list. And again, I bought that with one lady who runs it. She's 20 something dollars an hour. She lives in New Orleans. She's a writer. This is a newsletter service for authors. And that's been fantastic too. So that was a pretty chunky investment up front, but the cash flow has been fantastic. It paid itself off in less than two years. And every month I get a really healthy income stream just flowing on from this one decision I made a couple of years ago. So it's been a really good thing. And then I've done smaller ones and bigger ones and different business models. And we always compare notes and chat about the latest deal I've done. I've done about 30 now. 30 now. And why do people sell these businesses if they're producing good cash flow? What are the typical selling reasons? Well, that's a good question because, I mean, people sell a car that's still running well or people sell a secondhand house. They don't buy a house brand new. Some people like to be the architect and build their own home or build their dream home and live in it forever. But other people are sort of transitioning through on a path to somewhere else or moving location. And I guess for business owners, they're usually moving towards something else and need the cash injection. And so I've certainly, when I have been a cash buyer, they've been very motivated and I sort of am sussing out the vendor from the first conversation, how motivated they are, of course, and whether cash will make a difference or whether they're happy to finance it. But I think mostly 
people have a short attention span, they get bored of churning out a newsletter or they get their sights set on some other things. So the guy I just bought a business off, he's English, he's a mad keen cyclist, and I've just bought a book subscription business from him. It sells secondhand books on a monthly subscription service. So it's kind of a physical good, but prepaid and kind of almost drop shipped. It's um, quite a neat model. And it was valued by Empire Flippers for $110,000. And I paid 55 for it. And he wants to order some bike wheels from China and do his high-tech mountain bike wheel building thing and sell them to other mad keen mountain bikers. So he just wanted cash for product for his next project that he was really passionate about. And he'd started this subscription business with his brother. Sometimes when business partners fall out, they just want to cash out and go. Uh, so he was a combination, um, ready to do something different and also really wanted the cash and was really excited for the next thing. So couldn't get his hands on that money fast enough. So that worked in my favor and it worked for him too. He got a lump of cash and ordered his wheels. Wow. So they fit into various categories, relationship changes, decided that they're onto the next thing and they're just bored with it or they want out of it or they need the cash for something else. Or they maybe they're coming to the end of their business tenure and they just want to get paid multiples of what they've built. As a business seller, I've certainly enjoyed harnessing value from something I created. It was quite an amazing thing. I like the idea of building the businesses. And I've also bought businesses that were ongoing and then sold. There was, a, there was a whole bunch of domains. There was a couple of hundred domains that I bought once with websites. Yep. And I did that a couple of times actually. And one of the domains I was able to sell for exactly what I paid for the 200 websites. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. I wonder what kind of skills would you need if you're going to tackle this kind of business model? Clearly you're good at this stuff, but there's two main objections that I can think of. One would be, what if you don't have much online experience? Mm -hmm. And two would be, what if you don't have the cash to plonk down on a cash deal? You did reference that some people will lend you the money. Uh, I'm wondering how that looks when you're out there in the marketplace. Yeah. So there's a lot of different business models out there. And certainly the businesses I've bought, I need to really understand how they can work. And I don't ever want to be in some kind of holdup situation with some really techie developer team writing some software and some code. I've got no clue about some language I don't know about. Couldn't fix it myself. Wouldn't know what to recruit to get help if they did a runner or, you know, let me down in some way. So I keep the business models really simple and I look for opportunity to grow them. So that um, the last one I bought has a .co.uk and it's only ever operated in the UK, but I can easily just completely replicate that WordPress site into a US version and just hopefully 10 exit. We'll see how easy that is, but the product's the same and the, the whole workflows are the same. So I like to make sure there might be a bit of a team with some different skills. There might be a designer here or a an analyst there or a creative person. But as long as all those skills are easy to go out and hire again. So WordPress developers are kind of a commodity. Somebody doing any kind of admin level things, pretty trainable. I make sure I get really good standard operating procedures when I buy the businesses. And I also look to get in writing that the current team will stay. But if they don't, that's fine. As long as I know I can replace them with the training and know what skill set exactly they've got that's made them good at the job so far. But luckily, actually, I've been really nice to all the teams I've inherited and they've all stayed with me. I think only one designer left and she was going back to university and that was an easy patch to fill. Um, so the tech side, I'm really not techie at all. I'm absolutely hopeless. I don't write a word of the WordPress coding. I don't have a clue about design. I don't write a single email newsletter or anything like that. I just buy working businesses and keep the existing teams. And I've got my own little team here in New Zealand. So there's two girls here 
who are both kind of part-time hours and they're both way techier than me. So I can say, here's the UK WordPress site we've got. We need a, a .com one. Can someone make one and tell me when it's done and make it work? And then they plug it into Active Campaign and they plug it into the subscription plugins and all these things. I would not have a clue. So if you're not techie, you'll need to either get some tech help, which could be just a simple, pretty versatile VA with a WordPress type background or a bit of general digital marketing type background. But some of the businesses I've bought, like the newsletter businesses I've bought, you wouldn't need any tech skills. Somebody does the writing and then it gets pressed. You know, somebody presses the send button once it's written and there's no tech at all. There's some links from the um, affiliate products that go out and that's it. So they don't all need tech. And then your second question, which was a good one about the cash needed to do this. So I was lucky that COVID was quite good to me because everyone was looking to upskill with online work from home type businesses. So I was in a pretty good cash position when I went and bought that first fiction business. And then I bought some much smaller ones. I bought some little tiny WordPress sites that I could see had potential to grow. And I would just pay an agency to write the content for those each month. So you either pay up front and get the income stream straight away, which is nice because you've got a meaningful amount coming in and you can track it and you pay attention to it because it's a bigger deal. If you buy a smaller one, the return's obviously very small um, each month. So you might pay a couple of thousand dollars for a starter site on WordPress and maybe it's making, just pick a number, say $100 a month profit, which is nice. You know, it's working, there's traffic seeing it, all the links are working and the, the game plan is to grow it. Then you would want to work with a content agency who would do some really good thorough SEO, some search engine optimization research. I don't do that myself. And then some really good writing teams. So the writing side's been interesting lately because of all the AI tools shaking up the world of copywriters, uh, sorry, content writers and copywriters. But my content teams have really sort of split. Some are going really purist for doing great human only copy. And the other half are kind of jumping on the AI hybrid model. And then the ones that did neither have gone under, actually two companies I know have gone under um, content agencies. So I don't do any of the tech myself and I don't do any of the writing myself. And so if you start smaller, you do need to be prepared to set aside some ongoing investment into getting that content written so that over time you've got more posts on the sites, more good links and more good keywords. So it's just getting that volume of Google traffic, seeing the site and uh, clicking on links and seeing adverts, which is ultimately the way most of these websites earn money. So WordPress sites, blog posts, affiliate links and ads would be the sort of the simplest model you could do, or maybe newsletters would be the, the simple ones that you could start small. Would you say some of the vendors will sell it to you and finance some of the sale, but you pay more? Uh, yes. So the last one I did had a sort of a partial vendor finance, but a pretty hefty lump up front. It definitely, it does get a bit messy on escrow. So when you pay for these businesses, it's like a third party neutral agency in the middle called escrow, which handles your money. So you pay them, they sit on the money and then they release the funds when you're happy you've received all the website and all its assets that you were promised. But when you do a vendor finance one where the vendor's basically letting you pay in installments, which is very nice for your cash flow, the downside there is usually the domain isn't released till the very end. And if you want to do stuff with the site, it gets a bit messy. So I've always, when I've been able to afford it, preferred to do a clean cash deal. And they're usually pretty motivated to really drop the price. So the going 
kind of rate in the market is people will ask approximately if they've got a broker advising them and if the business is in really good shape. The sort of the industry standard is about three times the annual net profit. So if you've got a business making 10K profit a year, the asking price will be 30K. Um, so that's really good. I can't think of any other form of investment where you can have a payback period of three years or a 30 odd percent rate of return. It's a fantastic return on investment, but that's just the asking price. And there's some great data out there showing what the actual paid closed deals pricing was. And it's probably a quarter below that. So if you're paying cash, possibly even half the asking price of a three-year multiple, it brings it back down to a payback period of a year and a half or so, maybe two years. So it's pretty quick to pay it back. Um, And if you grow it, you could maybe pay it back sooner and get back to that break-even point where every business in your portfolio is then just, you know, producing pure profit. So um, depends a little bit on your circumstances and how hands-on you want to be. But the way I'm doing it is not very hands-on at all. And anyone I'm helping do this, I assume they're not techie. They're not writing all the blog posts themselves. And really, the tech help and the writing skills are pretty cheap to outsource. And there's some really, really good and skilled people out there who do actually a better job than I could, even if I sat down and tried to learn WordPress or try to write all those articles myself. I couldn't run a portfolio if I was doing it all myself. I think it's important because um, it's what I really like about your model. I'm a lot like you, not that technical Whilst it's true that I did build my websites when I started online about 2005, 2006, it's a long time since I did any of that stuff and I'm not really up with it. And I don't know if you necessarily need that if you're coming at it more from the investor perspective. I think you've talked about this before. There's the complete do-it-yourselfer who's hands-on with everything. There's the total investor who knows nothing about the tech. Both of them have their strengths, but they also have massive weaknesses because the do-it-yourself, hands-on person. That was me at the beginning. And I didn't pay for courses. I didn't pay anyone else to do stuff. I just tried to learn everything myself. It took me much longer than it needed to. Then the investor types who are completely oblivious of the tech, they really wouldn't know if the wool's been pulled over them. They wouldn't know how to do due diligence. They wouldn't know how to hire, train, recruit, or manage a team and assemble the mechanics of running this investment. Sounds like you're that sweet spot in the middle of the Venn diagram. Yeah, it's definitely a Venn diagram of investors and entrepreneurs. And I think you do naturally need to have a little bit of both to be happy in the middle because you're putting some serious cash out for a big business. It's a big decision and you've got to sleep at night and not have mortgaged your house. In fact, another thing is with these online businesses, you usually can't borrow to buy because there's not enough security for a traditional bank. And I certainly would never recommend anyone goes and stacks up credit cards or takes a loan out against their personal stuff to do this. Gosh, that's like the, that's pretty much the MO of most people teaching acquire business model is to max out the credit cards. It Ooh. sounds horrifically uh, dangerous. Yeah, it's, um, there's a lot can go wrong. I'm not going to, you know, mask that. Can you tell us about one that's gone wrong, like that didn't work out the way you thought it would? Oh, I've not had any disasters. I've had <laughs> so out of your thirty for thirty. <laughs> promising. <laughs> no shockers. Everything's on track now. Why is that? What are you doing that's different to your average punter? Because I imagine a lot of people they go off to the marketplace. You've mentioned a couple of resources already. They'll go off there halfway through the podcast, plonk down a couple of thousand dollars. <laughs> They'll be looking for their thousand, you know, yep. a couple of hundred dollars a month. Yeah. And then the thing will just get incinerated. Yep. What can go wrong? Oh, 
many things. So this is my favorite subject because I, this is what I like thrive on. If I take my eye off this stuff, I'm going to buy an absolute lemon of a business. So what I'm looking for is something quality with that kind of X factor that's hard to copy. And there's some business models I love and some that I won't touch. So despite being a big fan of building on Amazon, I'll not buy an Amazon FBA business or a Shopify site. I don't like e-commerce. I don't mind a digital product on Shopify, but not physical goods. I've just had too many years of inventory and shipping and warehouses. And a lot of those ones for sale, there might be a problem you can't identify. You don't have good enough tracking on an Amazon FBA business to know, oh, nice, there's 10K profit, but you can't see they've spent a million dollars on Facebook ads to get that. So there's too many gaps in the flow of data on an Amazon business. So I don't buy those. I don't buy anything that's uh, younger than a year old. So I like at least one full season of Christmas spikes and summer doldrums and all the cycles of seasons of business. I don't like anything that will have just had a great streak because of COVID and lockdowns. You know, it's a three-year-old business and everybody was buying some fitness app or, you know, learn how to do such and such at home course. So I keep clear of those. And I love online education. I like sort of evergreen subjects that I have a personal interest in. So I've bought some sites that have performed really well. I've got one on how to play the guitar and it cost about 75K. But still one of the bigger brokers. It was, you know, it checked out. It works like a dream. I've added some stuff to it, but I'm not a musician. I can see a guitar in your backdrop there. Yeah, and it's not mine, just in full <laughs> disclosure. I don't know how to play it and more than a couple of chords, but I coach a lot of people in the music industry. Yeah. And they'll be tuning in real hard to this part because they've all played gigs, they've all recorded in studios, they've had to do the coaching or sub coaching, and they're very hands on the product side. And they'd be very interested in the business mechanics of how you can do it, not being a guitar teacher. Yeah, well, I've hired this amazing guy, a Sicilian, Pietro, who I found on Upwork, and he's done an audio book. He wrote a book for me to add on to the So the, the site I bought was a WordPress site that just reviews guitars. It's called theguitarjunkie.com. Uh, so it reviews guitars, it reviews amps, it just it's really commercial. And so what I'm doing now is rebalancing that pure commercial content, sort of 80% of it now going to be educational teaching people. So because I know about book publishing, I've whipped up a book that's on Amazon. Well, Pietro, the guitar teacher, has whipped up the book. And he's in lots of bands and he's a teacher and he's really passionate about teaching. I mean, you couldn't hire someone who's not passionate to do this stuff. So he's done a great job of the book and he's then recorded it as an audio book. So it's good to be on Audible. And then we can break down those lessons and put those on the site and people could pay a membership, say $30 a month to access the ongoing lessons and maybe submit their chords or their songs and get feedback from the coach. So that's when I bought recently that was sort of growing. But what I learned on that one was that because I'm not that into guitars and I don't have a clue about the subject, it's harder for me to be creative with ways to grow it. It doesn't quite get to the top of the to-do list because I'm not personally so excited about it. But the very last one I bought is an online education one and that I do care about a lot and I can see such easy wins. I mean, my ability to spot opportunities for that one's so much better. And I know what a good job looks like if I outsource something. You know, I can't really tell if Pietro's lesson really does teach that chord brilliantly or not. I mean, I have to trust him. Um, he's got the track record, but it's not close enough to me for me really to do a great job on the quality control. So there'll be feedback from users, no doubt, but that's early days. But I really think from now on, I'm only going to stick to subjects I'm personally really, really interested in. So I'm doing a little content site on discipline for entrepreneurs called Dynamic Discipline. So that's when I'm sort of growing from a, a smaller starting base. And then I bought quite a big one. This was the biggest one I've done. This was half a million dollars, Ooh. Uh, New Zealand dollars. 
a few weeks ago, and this is a big online one. It's like 20,000 US. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Poor New Zealand rubles. Poor. Our economy's a bit sad right now. <laughs> yes, the exchange rate was not in my favour for buying. But the good thing is, because the exchange rate is so horrible, you know, if I start earning in US dollars and live here in New Zealand, then things get very rosy very yeah. quickly, which is nice. But yeah. It's actually really a good thing to be detached from the local economy. I just can, I've got this UK income and then the US. So I feel quite, should touch wood when I say this, I feel quite sort of robust with this portfolio. I'm not exposed to one big Amazon account. I haven't got. Well, it's, you know, you're singing from the same hymn book as me. I, I like having diverse pillars of income. I have a global marketplace that I'm participating in. That's why I went dot com US dollar from day one. Yeah, me too. And also, I like having a portfolio, even though I'm doing some slightly different stuff with the rev share deals. I have a portfolio of partners in different industries, in different locations, and together that's power. I'm also re- just want to tie back to your passion level thing. For me, my surfing site is that when I do board reviews, I actually, because I am a surfer and I do own the boards and surf them, I can talk with authority that is authentic and I know the content's good and, and I'm inspired when I make a YouTube video or something on the side and the shaper gets in touch with me and says, oh, I love that review you did of the board. Maybe it's all your podcasting skills or whatever. And I feel like that was special Yeah. because if those people accept that it's legit, then a surfer's got uh, nothing to complain about. Yeah, it's great for the person about to buy the board. It's also really good from a business point of view, because as Google has to battle all this just junky AI generated content, the real people with real opinions, with a real product in their hand and a real video are going to just be the ones still standing when everything else hundred percent, you know, Bluetooth speaker reviews. <laughs> this is how we navigate this, this era. I'm, I'm so bold about this that I've made the whole positioning of my own coaching now is the mentoring aspect. It's the human experience that I've had that I'm helping with the people coming through the mentees are going to be able to gain knowledge from that experience. It's not typing in a chat pad or a question bot. And I also feel that maybe training and courses may be a little less special because I think you can teach yourself a lot of things with AI now, but it's hard to get that guide or that extra person. So I imagine with each of your business models, there'll be elements that X factor you're looking for sometimes might involve components that are beyond just an ebook, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, um, like that video content. I like having it on, I like selling through platforms where I'm not sort of over a barrel with that big platform. So if Ooh, I'm reliant on the race course, I, I Facebook agree. ads, <laughs> oof, I don't have anything that's sold through Facebook ads. I don't do any social media at all, actually on any of my businesses. I love a newsletter. So you're very strong with SEO, right? Your SEO first, is that your? Uh, possibly email list. So probably the best deal I've done was the newsletter that makes that 90K a year. It paid itself off in less than two years. It's so passive. It's so low tech. I've got access to all those readers' inboxes every day. So that's a good one. But yeah, the WordPress sites with just good ranking. So quality articles that have been kept up to date and I can continue keeping them up to date because I'm genuinely interested in the subject. They're really good ones for me. And I'll do a YouTube channel just sort of as a backup for it. But I certainly don't want to be paying for Facebook ads or doing TikTok videos. I can't think of anything worse. (laughs) I kind of 
Yeah, I'm sort of like arm's length of the. Well, I just did a video about why I'm not on TikTok, and uh, it's hitting a, a nerve with a few people because I think there's a lot of people like us. They just don't. I'm not going to be doing floss dancing videos on TikTok anytime soon. Well, I'd have to install it on my phone for that. But mm-hmm. the real lesson here is you're leaning to your strengths and the things you know. And if someone was very strong with social media, very outgoing, and they were really good with Facebook ads, could they plug in businesses and take them to the next stage using those techniques? Oh, absolutely. There's so many sort of abandoned social media channels that have been started but not properly monetized. If you've got that Venn diagram of social media background and commercially savvy, you're away. There's so many assets sitting there idle that you could go and buy. So while I buy a lot of stuff through the commercial broker sites, I've also bought whole big Facebook communities and email lists just by approaching the people that run whichever communities they are, that maybe they're a bit tired of it and would love a cash injection. And And, uh, technically they're not supposed to sell those things. I think it's okay. I think um, I'm not quite sure. I've never had any issues doing it. I've certainly taken over a few Facebook communities. Certainly most social platforms don't like users selling their position, but I know for a fact it's massive. It's a huge thing. And also I've heard about this one where you approach a YouTube channel and you can um, pay to have your link put in their description. Oh, right. Yeah, and they'll put a description link to your program or product. Basically you can sponsor their description box. Ah, nice. So that's cool. And I mean, Amazon says you're not allowed to sell Amazon accounts. I've sold a seven-figure Amazon account. And there's a whole industry there. Thrasio raised billions to buy and merge and roll together, do big roll-ups of Amazon accounts. So what happens in practice and what these platforms say don't seem to quite work out. But Exactly. And to be clear, I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't do it. I'm not giving <laughs> yeah. any advice. I'm just pointing out that, look, the reason that we don't want to be over a barrel is because these big platforms have a habit of making massive changes and it doesn't suit everybody. I mean, right now we've seen Twitter become X and uh, I posted a bit of a stir in the mud post recently about how's your threads working out for you. And some people said they love it because it's better than what Twitter was or it's the old Twitter, et cetera. (laughs) And it just shows if you were very, very strong on Twitter and then it became X, it may not have suited you. And if that's the source of all your income, it's a bit dangerous because you can't really control that. You could, much richer, more powerful people in control of your destiny. Yeah. Certainly what I've learned from reading up lots about investing is, you know, the people in it for the long haul, the Warren Buffetts and the Ray Dalios, they're always just much more worried about that downside risk. Yes. So they're looking to protect the downside. And that's how I've approached this buying online businesses really seriously. And then, you know, have the diversification. So you've got one that's on WordPress with Google, one that's maybe you know, a newsletter with a big email list, one that's got a YouTube channel or something, and you just spread out a bit more. But if one breaks, they're not all going to break. Or if there's a glitch or just some tech problem, everything's fixable. Well, with 30 in your portfolio, I imagine two things. One is you're fairly protected against changes in the market because you must be in fingers in different pies. But secondly, there must be some consolidation or economy of scale, like, you know, where you're doing certain admin features or back-end office stuff or email sending, et cetera, could be consolidated across the businesses? Yeah. And it gives you good purchasing power as well. So we've got everything hosted on Kinsta, for example. So we just get a really good deal and really good service for all our hosting. And then for the content agencies, we sort of shopped around a bit and we found some that we really like and we order a million words at a time and it can be delivered over two years, but um, they take our account really seriously. So we've been really well looked after by service providers by having a bit of scale. 
my team, if we buy something that's not on WordPress, they'll move it onto WordPress. So everything's on the same theme. We use the same plugins. We have the same security stuff. But it's actually quite efficient. And efficiency doesn't really come naturally to me. I'm not really a systems person, but this lady who works for me in New Zealand, who's sort of the chief operating officer of the whole portfolio, basically, she is really systems thinking and she's techie and she just sets up everything the same. She runs everything in Notion and we have all these, you know, everything's just organized. And so she gets the overheads right down by just whipping everything into shape the second we inherit it. So that saves me a lot of hassle and time and exposure on things going wrong. And she just stays up to date with the things she needs to know about. And I go out and look for more businesses to buy. I love it. Well, that's not the only thing you've been doing. Of course, being an educator, you couldn't help yourself. And now you're teaching other people how to do this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It just makes sense. You're so excited about it. You're so passionate and you've gone and discovered all of these resources. You've done a a stack of courses about this all around the world to find out the different ways people approach it. The proof is in your own portfolio, I suppose. I've got a very important question. This is something I've still not been able to fully solve. How do you describe what you do to your parents? Oh, (laughs) that's a tricky one. Uh, Well... I think they think I just write a lot of books because I sell all these books on Amazon. I think that's what they think I do, but they do know I buy businesses, but my family's very entrepreneurial. So they actually think I'm a bit of a loser because I'm in my forties now. I'm the first person in our family in the forties to still be working. They were all retired at 40. Everyone ever has been retired at 40 in my family. <laughs> so the last one, <laughs> I've got a younger brother and sister and they're still working, but they're catching it pretty quick. You are literally the most active person in my mentor program. like Oh, really? <laughs> yes. The, the most prolific, the most active. I can't see you retiring anytime in the next few weeks. No, I don't really dream of retiring. I'm just being silly, but... You love it, don't you? You, just, you yeah, literally I love, love it. Yeah, yeah. I love playing with the ideas. I'm definitely much more on the creative side than the creating order. And, you know, somebody says, now it's time to optimise that ad campaign. I'm gone, you know, yeah. checked out, bored. So I've got quite a short attention span. The only thing I don't get bored of is learning. And so I'm in your programme and we have these great calls every week. And then I read a lot of books uh, about business and about philosophy and about history or whatever. You know, I just follow so many different podcasts. Well, you did AI and programming and all sorts of stuff. Like Yeah, I didn't really make the most of that. So last year I was this total girly swat and went off to this MIT course on artificial intelligence and did all these assignments. And then when it actually hit the market as a commercial thing, I was sort of over it. I was like, well, the big boys are going to do big boys stuff, you know, these huge platforms. I can't create one of those. But it would help you spot blind spots and see which businesses might be replaced. A lot of the university courses now are for jobs that probably won't be around, let's face it. Yeah, I think it has served two things. It helped me future-proof the things I've already got where, you know, this was time to switch this content writing strategy to that one or something. But also just that FOMO, you know, I could just sit back and go, right, you know, actually Amazon wants quality books, not somebody presses some buttons and publishes some junk and they can be more prolific, but there's no quality. They want quality. So I've kind of got my uh, game plan for each business model updated now I've done that course. (laughs) Nice. So you've got a website where you're doing some free training. You've got a book there, case studies, et cetera. I'll definitely put a link up at jamesramco.com forward slash Sophie. It is Sophie with an IE, but we'll put a redirect for the wine just in case. (laughs) And Sophie, what's the name of the website? It's aspiringentrepreneurs.com. And the course is for this particular thing, for buying online businesses. 
I started out assuming A, you're not techie and B, you don't have thousands and thousands of dollars to throw to business as a speculative exercise but that you'd like to learn how to invest in online businesses. So it assumes you're going to outsource the day-to-day operations of tech stuff and writing stuff, uh, building links, all that kind of thing. And it also assumes that you're not coming into this with like a Wall Street tricky finance background. There's people that do that. And that's not my style at all. Also, I think a lot of the financial instruments just would never apply to these online businesses. I do see, I see the videos of the lawyers and the M&A people and the they're all very clever and tricky, but they there's something not right about that for me. Yeah. It's not everyday translatable. No, and their tricks would not have worked for the size of businesses I've bought. So I've bought sort of four-figure, five-figure, and a few six-figure businesses, and the six-figure ones have really made me really do my homework before I bought them, and then the extra work I've done figuring out which ones of those are good make the smaller ones not so scary. And you're basically sharing your, your lessons, lessons learned along the way. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, but I'm not teaching you code or how to build them from scratch. By the way, I don't. I, I tell people don't bother learning yeah. how to do that. I, it's, I'm strong about that. There are so many other things that you should be putting your attention on and learning how to build an outdated website system that's highly commoditized is not one of those things. No, and this has never been an easier time to hire good online help for those tech skills. I mean, they're all out there and they're pretty competitively priced and you get someone in that you like and you stick with them and that's your team. So all my team are freelancers apart from two. And in fact, they're still contractors as well, but we've got, you know, someone we go to for UX or someone we go to for a new logo and build up that little, little black book over time. Yeah. So I teach people a strategy that assumes you're starting small and you learn the ropes on a smallish deal, but you're really looking quite seriously as a, it's more like an alternative investment strategy rather than being an online business builder. So the return on investment should absolutely leave any property or stock market or anything like that absolutely standing in terms of return on investment. And it's not speculation like crypto or buying a racehorse. So it's sort of in that middle. There's certainly risk and you need to know what you're doing, but there's some really, really good deals. There's fantastic opportunities for serious buyers. There's far more businesses for sale than there are serious buyers. When I've first engaged with each vendor for a business for sale and sort of explained what I'm wanting to do, and they take me seriously, we get to a really good deal really quickly. And they haven't had any other serious offers or serious people with sensible questions. And so anyone I'm teaching, I'm teaching from that very first, how do you position yourself? How do you reach out to the owner? What's your first question or your intro? What do you need to accomplish in the first call, which is not what's your asking price, but you know, figuring out where they're at, what they've done that's worked with the business and what they're trying to do themselves. So a lot of that softer stuff is what I teach as much as the crunching the data on the WordPress side. But, you know, building rapport, negotiation skills are far more powerful. I'd rather have a great business, you know, and pay a fair price for it and have goodwill from the vendor and ongoing ideas and a great handover than, you know, buy some broken business or somebody's idea for some software thing that they've never monetized. I want to buy something that's already up and running and going great, really easy. Everything's done and just take it over. And that's a nice deal. Such a good approach. So any words of wisdom for someone who's about to do their first deal? Oh, well, good luck because it is very exciting and you should definitely put some really detailed work into the assessment of it and the due diligence. Uh, don't make any mistakes. There's no need to make any mistakes. You can do this really carefully. You really want to go carefully. This isn't a thing to throw lots of money about or borrow money for. Just pay what you can afford and have a plan to grow it when you take it over. 
and just channel that entrepreneurial side to see the opportunities for growth and to expand on it? You know, can you take this platform here and put it on another platform as well? Or can you add a online course or an affiliate link to another related product or service off the back? So I think the platforms like Flipper make it really easy because they actually vet and um, screen all the Google analytics and they verify it. So they don't list a load of junk. There's a few rogue Facebook groups out there with small businesses for sale. So the the bigger platforms insulate you from a lot of the risk because their brokers do a really thorough check. I've sold big businesses through the brokers and oh my goodness, they double check everything you do. Video walkthroughs of your Stripe accounts, your PayPal payouts, your proof of everything, you know, the metrics on every single bit of your business. So uh, Flipper is a really good one. That's a nice Australian company, com, And then there's Empire Flippers tend to get all the Amazon type sites and slightly bigger ones. And then Quiet Light do some really big business sales as well. So start small and learn the ropes. And then the process is actually the same when the deals get bigger. I actually feel a bit scared about going another level up from what I'm doing. I think I'm really happy with what I've got at the moment. And that size deal is really sweet. You know, there's enough return that you could actually live off it if it was your only business but you put them in a portfolio and you've got a really nice income stream. You don't have a thousand little rats and mice size ones, and you don't have one seven figure one that if it breaks, you're absolutely screwed. So I think that portfolio approach, buy and hold, don't flip them, just hold and grow and keep them, don't sell them and take a long view and just keep upskilling with all the ways that you can enhance the customer experience and stay in touch with what the big platforms like Google are correcting with each update so you don't get caught out. I love that philosophy. And there's something really wise about what you just said. It's about knowing what your level is. I've done that with my own business. I've kept it at a level that's significant enough to be rewarding, working with the right people, but I've never been tempted to take it too far up because almost everyone I know with an eight-figure business has a whole world of pain and problems and stress that I don't want. So I don't make the choices that would allow me to have those. Yeah. And so- You've got that perfect little portfolio ticking along nicely. Everything's running smoothly. I get to see from the inside that this is actual and it's happening and how you do it. And I just love what you're doing. That's why I really wanted to share this. And uh, thank you so much for all this information. We'll definitely put a link to your free training. Yep. jamesramco.com forward slash Sophie. Your website, if you want to go directly, is called aspiringentrepreneurs.com. So there's free training there and a free copy of the book. And so you can get a feel for whether this is something that might suit you. It's definitely not for everyone. It's probably not the first thing you've done in business to go and buy one. I'd say either have worked in a sort of a senior role or started your own businesses or done something entrepreneurial up till now. But it's certainly a fast track to that end point of having the successful, profitable business rather than building it yourself. So When time's of the essence, you know, it gets you straight to the finish line of having the business right there straight away, two clicks of a button and get the password and it's yours, which is pretty cool. Amazing. Sophie Howard, thank you very much. Thank you, James. This is James Schramko. 